You're listening to an IOE podcast. Powered by UCL Minds. This is Research for the Real World. Conversations with researchers about the paths they've taken to shape our everyday lives. Research for the Real World, conversations with researchers about the paths they've taken to help shape everyday lives. Hello, I'm Dr Laura Eathwaite and I'm a Senior Research Fellow at the UCL Centre for Education Policy and Equalising Opportunities, also known as CPO, at IOE, UCL's Faculty of Education and Society. In this season of Research for the Real World, we want to focus on climate justice and development education and how educational systems can be reimagined to embed sustainable development principles and practices to bring about positive change and climate justice. So on this episode, I'm really delighted to be talking to Dr. Lizzie Rushton. Lizzie is an Associate Professor and Programme Leader of the Education MA and was recently appointed Head of the IOE's Department of Curriculum, Pedagogy and Assessment. She's also a Research Lead and part of the Leadership Team for the UCL Centre of Climate Change and Sustainability Education. Prior to joining UCL, she was a former secondary geography teacher and completed her PhD at the University of Nottingham before moving to King's College London. Her research focuses on geography and science education, in particular the professional development of teachers, student participation in research and climate change and sustainability education. So without further ado, welcome Lizzie to the podcast. Many thanks, it's a real pleasure to be with you. So let's get started. We always ask our guests, what brought you to education? You know, what what lighted your spark in this area? So I think there's always been a little bit of a teacher in me. I remember from being a very young child, you know, lining up my cuddly toys and taking the register. So when I was doing my PhD in geography at the University of Nottingham, I really was very, very interested in teaching and taught on some undergraduate programmes. And we had a kind of a relocation to Kent and I worked as a teaching assistant whilst I was writing up my PhD. And that really opened my eyes to the importance of schools and to the, you know, it gave me a much better understanding of, of I'd had a very, very fortunate experience of education, but that wasn't always the case for others. So as I finished my PhD, I trained to be a teacher and then worked as a geography teacher. And for me, that gave me an opportunity to achieve two of the things I was you know, really, really passionate about, you know, continuing to engage in the subject of geography and also being able to work with young people. And that was really always underpinned everything that I've done, even as I've moved through these different roles. Well, congratulations. And I'm really glad you made you, you found your way down to London. And again, congratulations on your recent appointment to head of department. So like you say, your research uh, really does focus on climate change education. But what does that mean to you? And how did this field emerge? So yeah, climate change education is a, is a very broad field, I guess, has been work in environmental education, and outdoor learning for over 50 years and longer. Climate change education has become much more well known and, and discussed in, in recent years for obvious reasons, you know, really trying to seek a, a response to the climate emergency that, and the biodiversity crises that we face through education. So the field of climate change education has lots of different names and terms that go along with it. You might hear education for sustainable development, climate change education. I've often used the term education for environmental sustainability. So it's got lots and lots of different terms. And for me, the key aim is to 
really think about and investigate how education can be a powerful framework mechanism to creating uh, a more sustainable and fair and just way of living on our planet. It sounds so interesting. And I guess part of that, does intergenerational learning have a role within climate change education? And the reason why I ask is because climate change is intergenerational. And so I I assume that maybe in terms of education, there also may be a connection there. Am I correct in that thinking? What, What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I think that's absolutely right, Laura. I think for me and other scholars have talked about intergenerational learning, allowing for sharing of knowledge and attitudes and competencies or capabilities between younger and older generations. So enabling those different generations to understand each other and those different knowledges and and perspectives without necessarily adopting them or kind of taking those on. And for me, um, in my work, a key focus has been trying to think about how to bring about intergenerational dialogue so discussion and dialogue across generations so that we acknowledge youth voices that we enable greater connections between adults who make decisions that have consequences for for young people and so really thinking about the barriers, whether they're cultural or historical for young people to kind of be involved in those dialogues. And I guess that, you know, when thinking about the classroom spaces and, and the kind of the, the power structures there, how can we create spaces for that dialogue and, and, and mutual understanding in the context of climate change and sustainability? Great stuff. So can you describe the link between public policy and students? Because our listeners may not always see that immediate link. So if you've got any concrete examples, I'm sure that'll go a long way. So, yeah, I mean, the the Department for Education has been doing quite a bit of policy work in relation to sustainability and climate change and the way that, as they describe it, children's system services kind of interconnect with, with that idea. And that grew out of the work of the last United Nations Climate Change Conference, COP26, which was held in Glasgow. So I think if we're thinking about the ways that policy connects with young people. In education, policy is developed, whether it's about curriculum, whether it's about teacher training and education, whether it's about schools that directly affects the lives and experiences of young people. And actually, there aren't always the mechanisms, the frameworks to allow young people's perspectives to be incorporated into policymaking. So the Department for Education released the Strategy for Climate Change and Sustainability in relation to children's system services. And they did include an element of capturing young people's perspectives as part of a consultation for that strategy. But that's actually quite unusual. And it's quite difficult when you think about it for young people really genuinely to have a voice and a, and a place in the way that those policies are discussed and developed. So a lot of my research has been thinking about ways that young people can be involved in policymaking, particularly in relation to the environment and climate change, where, as I've said, the decisions that are made by adults are, you know, it's the young people that kind of have the consequences of those decisions. So in in your research, correct me if I'm wrong, you have looked at how you've been able to integrate youth voices so that it goes beyond just being tokenistic. Could you give us an example of how you've been able to achieve that through some of your research? Yeah, that's a great question. Thank you. Um, so working with my colleague, Dr. Linda Dunlop at the University of York, we've been, we worked on a project that had a focus on geoengineering, thinking about approaches to climate interventions that are 
just you know, would fit under the umbrella of, of geoengineering. So we worked with young people up to the age of 25 from university students from across Europe over a series of online workshops to co-create with them a policy brief for policymakers focused on geoengineering. So thinking about the principles and priorities that young people had for policymakers in that space. And that's about providing an opportunity for them to bring together, you know, the knowledge, their understandings, their perspectives, but also to provide them with the opportunity to learn how to write a policy brief and and how to advocate for themselves and for their, their, their communities in that way. So we're thinking about helping them develop knowledge and understanding, but also to develop and empower them to be able to advocate for themselves. No, that sounds really fascinating. And I love the, the idea of co-creation and I'm really trying to embed that in some of my own work as well. So it's it's great to hear that illustration as well. So thank you. So you are a part of the uh, UCL Centre for Climate Change and Sustainability Education. Could you tell our listeners about some of the current projects that teachers and students are a part of? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the big pieces of work that we've been focused on is something that was funded by UCL's Grand Challenges. So that was looking at schools as ecosystems of sustainability and climate change education. So really thinking through the different spaces and roles within a school where sustainability and climate change education and action can occur. So obviously the the, the kind of the usual places are in the science and the geography classroom. And so that's often a, a place where climate change and sustainability are are learnt about and discussed. But then we, we were really interested to hear about any extracurricular work that schools are doing. Perhaps they have an eco club, perhaps they have a science or a weather and climate project where they're thinking about climate change in that perspective. And talking also to staff involved in the school sites and operations. So the estate managers, how are they working across the school site to ensure it's sustainability focused, thinking about purchasing decisions in the canteen, recycling, and and so really trying to understand the roles of the different actors and the different spaces in schools to bring together examples of great existing work that can perhaps provide some encouragement and inspiration for other schools because we know that you know schools are incredibly busy demanding places they've had to you know be at the forefront of supporting young people through the pandemic they're super busy places and so our intention is not to you know, to say to teachers, here's yet another set of things that you need to do. It's about really shining a light on some of the excellent work that's already going on in schools and sharing that across schools. So that's work that's been led by the centre, including my colleagues, Professor Nicola Walsh and Dr Alison Kitson and our brilliant researcher on that project, Sarah Sharp. So that's been a really, really interesting experience and these are schools across England so I was really lucky to go and visit a school in rural Northumberland, Corbridge Middle School and learn from some absolutely phenomenal um, students about their research projects um, related to weather and climate, that they'd built a rain garden, that they were advocating for more sustainable choices in their canteen and and really working with their teachers and governors and school leaders to, to foreground sustainability in the school in that way. So that's been one excellent piece of work. And then another project that is developing across this year is we're leading a an England-wide survey of teachers 
leaders to explore their current practices in relation to climate change and sustainability education, where they would like more support, how they would like that support to be developed. So again, it's that idea of co-creation where we're working alongside and with teachers. And the aim of the centre is to provide high quality professional development for teachers of all ages of all subjects. That's quite a big aim. So we're focusing on on geography and history uh, for this year. And I, that, I found that really, really interesting because obviously I'm a geography teacher by training. So for me, it's quite obvious where one might include climate change and sustainability in the geography curriculum. And for to learn from historians and to see the way that we can really um, extend the temporal perspective and thinking about our environment over time has been super interesting. So they're just two examples of the work that's going on at the moment. No, definitely. And I think what's really nice about the work that you've just described is it came across very interdisciplinary in terms of, you know, trying to tackle these grand challenges. You know, it's it can't just be, you know, Dr. Lizzie Rushton all by herself. You know, we need those collaborations within and across different disciplines. So, yeah, good luck with it all. I think that's a really excellent point, Laura, around the both the interdisciplinary nature of this and also the fact that it really can't continue to be the work of a, a hugely committed, enthusiastic teacher in a school. And that is so often the case that you have a passionate teacher, not necessarily a science or geography teacher. They may be a PE teacher or an art teacher who is really committed to securing the, the long term health and sustainability of our planet. And we do need a, a shift in the way that we think about schools as sites for sustainability, as, as places where we, you know, that's part of what schooling is about for me and and so it isn't just the work of the one teacher who often is doing this out of the goodness of their heart you know they're not necessarily given any kind of time because that's just not simply available in in school budgets and you know government the policy strategy that was published earlier in, in in 2022 does give some encouragement around having school sustainability leads. And I think that's fantastic to have that clear framework and recognition for those teachers, but they need to be funded and supported to to really do that role effectively. It can't just be another aspect of their role that they take on uh, because without being flippant, it's unsustainable. And doesn't work in sustainable education. (laughs) Definitely not. So you were also part of the British Educational Research Association's Research Commission of 2020 to 2021. Could you tell us a little bit more about that opportunity? Yes, I would absolutely love to. Thank you. So this was a fabulous project, again, working with my collaborator, Dr. Linda Dunlop. Was The theme for the commission was education for environmental sustainability. And so working with over 200 teachers, teacher educators and young people from across the UK, we co-created a manifesto, Education for Environmental Sustainability. And that manifesto was illustrated by the artist Maisie Summer. And we created the, the vision, the future for education for environmental environmental sustainability that those groups wanted to see. So again, that's an example of trying to create spaces for intergenerational dialogue so that intergenerational learning can happen. So we had online workshops, firstly, where we worked with teachers and teacher educators and, and young people separately to build rapport and a sense of community about the their ideas and perspectives. And then we brought those groups together with Maisie and some of the artists to then illustrate those perspectives and 
I'm really, really proud of that work because it's, I feel genuinely the, the finished manifesto captures the variety, the diversity of perspectives. You know, we were really wanting to create a space through that project for voices that are less frequently heard. Um, so often geography education in particular can be quite a white middle class discipline. So we were really keen to make sure that we work with experts, so the Black Environment Network, and also those with ex- expertise in working with students with additional learning needs to make sure that their perspective were included so with a working with a range of schools special schools and including contributions to the manifesto in different ways so we had poetry and paintings and uh, as well as a more kind of traditional bullet points and ideas so young people and, and teachers didn't actually have to necessarily come to the workshops to be have their voices heard they could participate in other ways and I think so much about what sustainability is for me is about really as I've said thinking about hearing from the voices that we don't always hear from and and making sure that they are included in those conversations. Well it sounds a very worthwhile and creative project so yeah again congratulations. So just sidestepping slightly the UK is participating in COP27 in Egypt. Could you explain to our listeners about what COP27 is and what the link is between climate change and your hopes for the conference? COP27 marks the end of, of the UK's role in, in, in being the president of the United Nations Climate Change Conference. So it's COP for short. COP27 will be held um, in Egypt and that's a meeting of governments from across the world, the United Nations groups to come together. And the presidency for COP27 includes a, a whole kind of theme or or day focused on on young people and their futures and for me that's inextricably linked with climate change in some senses you know climate change and the impacts of climate change are absolutely with us now and have been with communities and people in different parts of the world for a long time but by focusing on young people and the futures of young people I think that's a an absolutely crucial thing in order to really feel the urgency. So when when you're a certain generation and these things kind of well they're not gonna they're not gonna really happen to me, but they you know they they will happen to your children, they will happen to your grandchildren. And so by bringing young people very much into the forefront of decision makers' minds, I think that that's what's really important. And I guess in terms of my hopes for COP, I really would like to see more opportunities for education to feature strongly in our discussions about responses to climate change, for education to be seen as a fundamental way to tackle this huge challenge. And and that should, of course, be something that policymakers um, and governments have, have a key role in. But I feel that really strongly that teachers and teacher educators and young people's voices should meaningfully fit into those conversations as well. So really wanting to think about schools and all the different ways that and spaces that schools have so not only the curriculum but the extracurricular activities and the way that schools are spaces for this kind of work and I guess the reason why I think intergenerational dialogue and learning is so important is that the responsibility for solving the climate and the biodiversity crisis that we face shouldn't be the burden the responsibility of young people whenever whenever we talk about these things you'll often hear some voices saying well you know it's over to you young people it's you know and I actually I find that actually that's potentially fueling eco-anxiety and worry for young people about the planet that they're that they're going to inherit it's not their responsibility to carry that burden we need to kind of provide an education so that all young people are equipped and empowered 
to respond to climate change and sustainability rather than to feel weighted down by that. Excellent. Thanks so much, Lizzie. So to finish us off, could you share what's next for you and and your research? Yeah, absolutely. So what next for me is thinking more about public dialogue. Again, thinking about how can we meaningfully include young people in public dialogue about environmental concerns. So I'm working on a project funded by a UKRI and the Royal Society of Arts that looks at involving young people at the earliest stage of the public dialogue process so rather than uh, potentially scientists or engineers coming to young people with you know here's the problem how how can your perspectives inform this problem we're actually going to go to the young people and say well what, what are your perspectives and thoughts about climate change for example and then take those perspectives to the scientists so trying to kind of I guess subvert the process a little bit so that's again work that I'll be doing with Linda in my wider role I'll be working across the brilliant department of curriculum pedagogy and assessment and thinking again about how we can include sustainability as a key theme across the work of the department that work has been ongoing before I joined as head of department but really keen to continue to explore that so yeah I think that's that's what's next for me. Excellent well I'm so excited for you and I'm really looking forward to seeing you know the work that that comes out of that and it's been really interesting hearing about your illustrations and stories of how you co-create such creative work with students so that like you say their voices are heard and it does go beyond that tokenistic nature that you sometimes see around these topics so thank you very much for sharing all your insights thank you it's been a pleasure you can follow lizzie on twitter at rushton doctor to learn more about her research some of what we've covered today is also available in the episode notes if you've enjoyed this episode we have an archive of 17 past seasons search ioe podcast to find episodes of research for the real world as well as more podcasts from ioe And as a quick favour before I go, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, we'd really appreciate it if you could give the IOE podcast a rating. Five stars would be lovely. This will really help us to spread our reach about such important work. I'm Dr Laura Uthwaite and thank you for listening. Research for the Real World is produced by IOE Marketing and Communications and IOE Research Development. The theme music was created by Rob Cochran. Tatiana Sotero-Diaz is the series advisor, Amy Leibowitz is the series producer, and Jason Ilagin is the executive producer of the IOE podcast. Thanks so much for downloading and listening to this IOE podcast. 